Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to anybody who's joining us live on Facebook, YouTube. Um, eventually, if you're watching the recording, we're grateful that you're listening. And today I have a special guest and patient who I am fortunate to know, um, I guess, a little bit more closely than maybe some of you do because I work with her in her nutrition group. Um, but this is Patricia Daly, and she is joining us all the way from Europe. And she is on the tail end of her day as we're starting our day over here on the Pacific side. So we're so glad that you're here with us, Patricia. Um, can you just introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a bit about you, and then we'll dive into your story. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Dana. It's a, a pleasure and an honor. So yeah, I'm tuning in from uh, Dublin, Ireland. Uh, so it's six o'clock here in the evening. Uh, but I'm originally from Switzerland. I moved across, um, gosh, 16 years ago. I'm married to an Irishman. So I moved for love as, as usual. <laughs> With a view to staying in Ireland for one year. But then unfortunately, just eight months after uh, moving over, I was diagnosed. So and uh, from then on, it wasn't so much a question of where to live, but whether to live. And I guess that's one of the reasons I'm still here. And uh, out of that year, um, you know, got a little bit longer, have two kids now, so 12 and 13. And um, yeah, so been on, on quite a journey uh, since no, my for sure. diagnosis in, when was that, July 2008. Yeah. Okay. Great. So July 2008 was your original eye diagnosis. Exactly. Yeah. And interestingly, you know, when, uh, I mean, for a lot of people, including myself, it came completely out of the blue. I was 28. I was super um, sporty, a competitive athlete. I was in, in the junior triathlete, um, the, the national team in Switzerland when, when I was a teenager. I was still, you know, working out a lot, eating, as I thought, really, really well. I thought I was um, super healthy. But looking back with the knowledge that I have now, there were all the signs that I had metabolic dysfunction. And uh, ultimately, then I think I have quite a big predisposition to, to cancer. Unfortunately, three of my grandparents, well, in older age, they uh, passed away from cancer in their early 70s. And uh, so I guess it just always, it always hits our weaknesses, doesn't it? When we have mm, a lot sure. of pressure from the environment, we go wrong in, um, in a lot of ways. And uh, for me, you know, looking back, uh, they basically said, oh, Patricia, you've got a, ki uh, a kidney cyst. Um, I had a bit of, you know, a hint, a touch of fatty liver as well. I had appalling glucose control to the point that they tested me for diabetes in the hospital while I was there to get treated for cancer as well. That's so um, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and looking at the blood work, I was pre-diabetic, but they were, oh, you're fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I didn't pay too much notice to that. 
and uh, I had lipomas. I had those, um, you know, growths um, uh, on, you know, sort of those fatty growths, uh, on, especially on my inner thigh. Interestingly, I had to have a, a really large one removed um, about two years after diagnosis. So also I I picked up every single infection that went around that winter mm. and I knew something was wrong and I always yeah, like just something felt intuitively off yeah and I thought it was so moved to Ireland so but it was when you you said you got diagnosed in Ireland right yeah that's right exactly so when you were in Ireland um and you ended up you know in the in the eye doctor's office learning that you had something going on with your eye um you know, what, what would, what, what do you remember them telling you? You know, do you remember, like, did they tell you you had a tumor? Did they tell you you had melanoma? Like, how did they explain it to you at first? And what did you kind of take away from that first appointment? Yeah. So interesting question. So I had a complete retinal detachment. I was um, doing handstands with my nephew and niece on the trampoline. Everything went black. And then um, it came back, the vision came back. And then the next day I thought, oh, well, I better call an optician because that's, that's not normal, is it? And I had noticed sort of flickering in the corner of my eye. I really had problems adapting to dark. So I cycled into uh, an underground garage every single day to, to park my bike there. And I noticed that I had to stop my bike, let my vision settle, and then cycle into the dark. Otherwise, I wouldn't have seen enough with one eye. So I knew something was a bit off. So I said, okay, I'll go to the optician. She immediately spotted, uh, she thank goodness dilated the eye, spotted there was something going on, that there was retinal detachment. On the same day, I saw um, an ophthalmologist, uh, so not an oncologist. There were no ocular oncologists in the country at the time because it's so rare. And he then, um, after a lot of tests, it was about 10 p.m., um, he said, look, yes, you have complete retinal detachment, but I can't do surgery. That's my big fear. I have to go into surgery for retinal detachment, big panic. And he said, uh, you've got a very large tumor. I suspect it's it's melanoma. And I, in my naivety, uh, I mean, I didn't have a clue about medicine and nutrition and whatnot. Um a little bit maybe about nutrition from an athlete background, but all the wrong stuff. And um, so I initially, I I just didn't cop on that it was actually potentially a cancer diagnosis. I thought, well, it's just something in my eye that we need to deal with. Complete denial, really. And uh, willingly or unwillingly, subconsciously, I don't know now. And it was only when I was in Liverpool then under Professor um, Bertel D'Amato, um, where I got my treatment and I, I got a leaflet be, and I had to sign a lot of waivers. I got a leaflet, you know, how to deal with a cancer diagnosis. And I was, I actually have cancer. And that's when it really completely dawned on me. And uh, that was, um, yeah, that was really a, a shock at the time. And they also sent psychiatrists into you and you you get a little bit of, of guidance, but I was sort of, yeah, um, couldn't believe it. No, that's mind blowing. So talk to us a little bit about what happened after that. Did you end up having uh, brachytherapy, proton beam? Um, what was your initial treatment? Yeah, so um, I had the the, the plaque, the bra uh, brachytherapy. Um, so I had surgery on Monday. 
And then um, the plaque, I had a large tumor. It was 15.3 millimeters at the beginning or 15.6, I think. So mm-hmm. really large sort of nasal. So the plaque was uh, sort of more to, to the side. And then they removed it on, on Friday. Uh, and I went home on Saturday. So we moved it on, on Friday night. Um, there were a lot of emergencies and I had to wait. I think I got overtreated um, about by 12 hours. It was um, late getting it out. And then I was just sent home. And I think, um, you know, you were asking about sort of pivotal moments as well, because I was talking to Professor D'Amato and I was... There's just, you know, what can I do now? Uh, because I was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 28, which, you know, I'm not beating myself up here, but something must have gone wrong. Yeah, like, and- but what happened? <laughs> like, I, I know the feeling because I was diagnosed at 28. So, I mean, you just, yeah. that's where your brain goes. You're like, what happened? Exactly. What, where did I go wrong? And it's not about blaming myself, but it was, what can I do differently? Because this is horrendous. Um and he basically just said, ah, oh, you know, uh, you you just, you have your treatment now. This will be taken care of. You go and take it easy for a few weeks and you go back to work. And, I, and that's that was a pivotal moment for me because I was sort of, no, that that can't, like, that can't be it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, on in some level, yes, that's what happens. Like you do kind of just go back to work, but there's also things about your life that are never the same vision, the way that you think about life, what you're thinking about all the time as a patient. Like when you have that cancer diagnosis, like it's not just as simple as going straight back to work. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I did try to go back to work after three weeks. Everybody thought I was crazy, including my boss. And it it really didn't go well. I mean, I, I, I was a, a financial analyst in international corporate banking. So talking about Excel sheets, lots of numbers, all Mm. of that stuff. And I think I looked into the screen for about 15 minutes. Off I went to the bathroom, threw up. And it was just like this for two days. And my boss was, this is ridiculous. Just go home. Just go home, take a break. And then I I was basically out sick for eight, nine months. I could not deal with screens. It just triggered something. And um, and I threw up. So oh, that um, would be miserable. Yeah, very miserable. And that was also I was sort of hang on, Patricia. I don't think this working full time on a screen on somebody else's terms is going to work out. So yeah. Um, and I always had had a dream of having my own business. Uh, I just didn't know in what. You know, I was always I want to have my own business, but what industry? not in financial stuff that's not you know that's not that's not my passion and uh, so I decided to to study nutrition just something tangible let's learn about food and you know I was always loved cooking and loved food so that was sort of the the most obvious to me and that's what I did I started studying nutrition then and uh so when you started studying nutrition at that point was it was it out of personal interest for your own like your own metabolic health or was it because you wanted to start a business or kind of a combo of both yeah it was definitely for myself and Mm -hmm. metabolic health was just not on the plan at all what i did was lots of choosing lots of whole grains no saturated fats and and basically you know what really was advocate advocated for a lot of cancer patients at the time and um so i was picture perfect i i, I did all the 
right things when it came to my nutrition. Um, lots, lots of carbs, no animal, hardly any animal foods, a bit of fish. Um, and, uh, and that's, you know, I thought, oh, well, that's helping me. I always had digestive issues. They didn't resolve, but I, I found there was a, a bit of an improvement. And, uh, and then I, I got pregnant fairly quickly um, in February 2009. So I got treatment in August. And we had asked, is it safe uh, to, to try for a baby? And now I would just, gosh, don't go near it so shortly after treatment. But And I also thought with, with my hormonal history, there's not a chance I can conceive um, anytime soon. But it, it happened um, very quickly to our surprise. And then when she was about five weeks old, I remember going for a scan and, uh, and just feeling that all the symptoms were back. And I said it to my consultant, I think I'm having a relapse. I think this tumor is growing again. The scans were clear. There was nothing wrong. That was in January, 2010. And I kept pushing because my, my employer also said, we can't take you back unless those symptoms are handled. And mm. uh, I pushed, pushed, pushed. And then end of May relapse, original tumor, 18 millimeters. So we were nearly at two centimeters and also spread um, local spread extraocularly. So there was a six millimeter tumor now, ex, you know, on, on the orbit of, of the eye. So that was a big shock with a five month old. Baby. Yeah. Oh yeah. no, that's a huge shock. That's like a huge yeah. thing to deal with. Um, and so, I mean, when they, I'm just kind of curious, how did they, how do they talk about it at that point? You know, when you had the extraocular spread, um, like the orbital spread, like, did they, was it considered metastatic or was it just kind of part of the the same tumor? Like, I don't, I don't know how they describe that. It's such a, it's kind of just such a freak thing. Like that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So it wasn't really talked about an awful lot. All they could say, all they said was we are trying as best as we can with proton beam therapy. So that was the next um, uh, treatment I received in Cladbridge in, in the UK and um, they said, look, because it was it was so out of the way of the other tumor, they said, we can't really treat it. All we can hope is that there might be some <laughs> something that also helps shrink that, that tumor. But this is not our priority. The intraocular tumor is so large. That's what we focus on. And we do we just um, watch and wait and see what happens to, to the other tumor um, extraocularly. And uh, that one, it actually stayed stable. It didn't grow for the next two years. And then for, for some weird reason, everybody completely forgot to, to do that watch and wait. So um, it wasn't until 2015 when I also, I always got uh, monitored and everything. And, uh, and I wrote up uh, my own case study for, for an oncologist in the US so I went through all my files and I was, hang on, what happened to that extraocular tumor? Three years ago, it was last scanned. And it was big panic before Christmas, had to go in at the weekend, do a CT scan, and it was gone. It was just not there. There wasn't even That's so crazy. a lesion or or any sign of of that there had anything had been anything. So um yeah, and my consultant was 
wow. I mean, he was more relieved than me. Well, yeah. I mean, he's, well, he probably is looking at the scans to compare him going, where did it go? (laughs) Yeah. And and he screwed up, you know, he forgot to monitor. I mean, I did too, Mm. you know, of course, but it's not really my job to. (laughs) Like on some level, for sure. Like on the medical level, like it's got to be, there's a balance of like, okay, I need the appointment. And my doctor's also accommodating having that appointment. Like there's, there's a lot of things to juggle, but I mean, you also had a baby, like, you had, I guess, a, a toddler at the time, which that's a lot of things to be doing as a young mom, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I had I had actually at, at the stage of then 2012 when there was renewed tumor activity. So that was the third time um, when they said, okay, let's try Avastin. And if Avastin isn't working, we, we, we remove the eye. And uh, at the time then I... I had uh, an eight month old, so a two and a half year old and an eight month old. And uh, looking back, I'm sort of, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but anyway, um, life happened and it's lovely and I'm really grateful now. But uh, it was so much to deal with. And, oh, I get uh, it. And they were sort of, yeah, just, you know, let's just do the Avastin. And I was, but it's an antigenesis inhibitor and I'm feeding a baby. And they were, it should be fine. And I was, but we have no study, so let's not do this. That just sounds crazy. And, you know, that was sort of another pivotal moment where I was, I have been researching ever since 2010. I was researching metabolic therapy. There were some nice, um, you know, very preliminary studies, of course, and case studies. Um, I talked to my consultant and he was, no, you know, don't do that. That's way too risky. And in fairness, at the time, we really didn't have much evidence. But then in 2012, he said, Patricia, you do what you need to do. I support you. I completely get that you might not want to go down the medical route again. And uh, I can monitor you very closely. He's he's a very young guy. And uh, he, I think he really got my situation yeah like just on a personal level he could he could understand like this is terrifying to go through as a young parent as a young person yeah yeah and he really felt that I needed to try this just for peace of mind and Mm. uh and that's that's what I I did and I got in touch I had been in touch with Tom Seafried and I was on Skype calls with Dom D'Agostino Miriam Kalanian and um, so that's how I just, you know, I had some people who had some knowledge who helped me, uh, but it was mostly a DIY job and adapting recipes that were very dairy heavy coming from Germany, mostly at the time, low carbon keto, uh, to adapt them, uh, to my needs. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the results were were really, I think my my ophthalmologist was also, have you have you done the Bastin injections somewhere else? That was his first comment. Uh, I think it was four or five weeks after starting. And uh and he just saw that antigenesis had dramatically decreased. So the, the excess blood vessels had decreased, the edema. I always had issues with just loads of fluid buildup in the eye. Mm. And uh, so these were two very clear signs. The optic nerve started to um, light up again as well. So my vision had really tunneled in and was nearly gone and um, and came back as well. Also with exercises, but I'm sure neurologically 
ketone bodies we know are very powerful. And he just said, yeah, keep going. And he said that he's been saying that. He's been saying that ever since. <laughs> keep going, keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's going good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of fast forward a little bit. You've dealt with an eye diagnosis. You've dealt with the recurrence of that eye, the eye tumor growing again, um, as well as kind of that external spread that we don't really have a way to define, but like just kind of a funky, a funky way of this, this cancer was trying to spread another way. Um, and you had started this, this journey to learn about nutrition um, and really just apply it for yourself. Kind of like you said, as, as a little bit of like a DIY experiment that it was like, you just had to try it because you needed to feel like, I mean, would you say it came from a sense of needing that control? Yeah, as well. Yeah. But, but I thought, I thought the studies were just really, or, or the whole science behind it. Mm-hmm. And especially Tom Seafried, how he did, you know, those nuclear transfer experiments i mean that's that were very highly reputable institutes mit and just the way he um presented the science also in his um book the you know mm. the, the um cancer as a metabolic disease um i i bought that that came out shortly after i started and i was yeah i mean it's it's just so compelling because for me it was very clear treatments always worked so I didn't blame the treatments I mean I responded well and that wasn't the issue it was what was in between that Mm -hmm. just I I I said there's just common sense there's just something in the environment that just gives that tumor the right things to grow and that was basically I think one of the the reasons as well so yeah it was a mix of of the two definitely Okay, so I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit um, away from maybe your personal story. And let's just talk a little bit about some of the things you've learned and like what um, maybe some of the, the foundations of why you started your recovery fundamentals program um, and just your nutritional um, nutritional coaching practice. And correct me if I'm phrasing any of those things wrong, but um, I just know that obviously like what you have learned has been incredible for you and you've seen some incredible things for you in your own cancer journey. Um, but because of the connections you've had with the various different researchers in this realm, you've also seen the research evolve, you know, a lot over the last roughly 10 years. Um, Mm -hmm. So what were some of the reasons that you felt like it was going to be valuable both, you know, for you and for patients um, or, you know, patients with any kind of cancer for you to start the recovery fundamentals program that you did? Yeah, I, I think it's really just, um, the link between insulin resistance and uh, cancer in general, but I know in, in ocular melanoma in particular, it's just too compelling to ignore. And I'm not saying everybody will have, you know, will hit the nail on its head like I did. I was very lucky that um, I, be it, you know, intuitively or by sheer pure luck that that I, I, I really found that way to quieten this tumor and that it's it's finally nicely shrinking as well. But I think there's there's merit to it. Also, say, God forbid, touch wood, um, I have to go for treatment and you know, I want to be as as well prepared as possible. I want to look after my my gut, I want to really optimize my metabolic health because we know regardless as well, if we go into immunotherapy or be it radiation therapy, the better you're prepared, the better you're, the stronger your body is. 
um, you know, the, the better the, the outcome or, or at least, you know, the prospects as well. And yeah, I think that whole, you know, insulin resistance, metabolic dysfunction, um, anybody who starts researching in it or also listening to, you know, very, very high powered um, researchers and scientists, um, Lewis Cantley, he talks quite, quite a lot about it as well. And he, he is NIH funded and he discovered the PI3K pathway. So all to do with insulin and um, it's, it's too good to neglect it. And um, mm. also just seeing, seeing the results, not just in myself. I mean, the first client I took on was actually in 2012 with ocular melanoma and she basically and I said we don't have enough evidence I you know I can't do that with you I can't help you and she was oh well you know I'm just gonna try and figure it out myself but I'm probably gonna do it a lot better with your help and your experience and whether we have the randomized controlled trials or not and it's not dangerous we know it's safe we know it's feasible um mm -hmm. we, if we do it right there's really not any you know damage or i really don't have concerns with the research that we have now if we do it right that's <laughs> always the key and uh and that's why also you know i think there is so much research coming out, so much evidence. I mean, it's really taken off even since the publication of our book in 2016. Everybody thought, especially in Ireland, we were completely crazy and had lost the plot. <laughs> and and now I think there, you know, there are so there's there's so much more compelling research. We have randomized controlled trials. We have, um, you know, the, the evidence I think is there and is too strong. And that's why I met Dr. Waffe in, I think, 2015. She joined my first online course that I did in uh, 2015. And that's how we met. She is a clinical oncologist and also functional medicine trained and probably, you know, in my opinion, one of the best integrative oncologists who really gets um, the conventional side, which I think is very important. And, um, and also the functional medicine integrative um, approach. And also through working with the European um, Keto Life Center, where we have Tom Seafried on, on board, Tomas Durage, who works with Tom Seafried, Don D'Agostino, and uh, so, so many other um, oncologists and uh, you know, medical professionals in the field and, and really helping to move this forward, I think is, yeah, it's just been wonderful to, to watch that, um, you know, what I see in practice is, is getting confirmed by the science. It should be the other way around, but as we know, we don't always have the luxury of time. No, and I think that, um, I think that's probably one of the things that that drew me to this realm too, is just that idea that like, I don't have time to wait for the research to catch up with me. Um, you know, like in some ways, I think especially patients who are dealing with metastatic spread or who have that fear of recurrence and maybe that high risk of spread due to their, um, their castle testing results or their impact genetic genetics. Ugh. I like, I swear, sometimes I think I have some kind of a lisp. My sister, my sister's a speech therapist and she's probably listening like, why are you talking? <laughs> um, but, but just this idea that, you know, we have these test results that they don't, they don't define exactly what happens to us. Right. We don't, we don't 
get those results and then they are a done deal for sure. If you're a, you know, if you're a class two castle result that you are for sure going to deal with metastatic spread and you're going to deal with it in this location, there's just so much unknown in this diagnosis. Um, and I just know that I think that for patients, um, for patients who maybe I, I guess function like me and maybe function like you, we need that layer of, uh, I guess, information empowerment that comes from that idea that, you know, I'm learning as much as I can. I'm equipping myself. I'm kind of arming myself with information and with knowledge, and then I'm applying it. And, and it's kind of like you said, as far as nutrition goes, as long as you're doing it safely, and as long as, you know, you're not causing havoc on your system, you know, because you're, you're doing something you're unaware is actually detrimental to your metabolic health. Um, then it really has a powerful benefit of like, just kind of a, a net positive, because like, if you're, if you're eating food, like your body needs food. And as long as you're eating well, and you're feeding your body well, it should help you feel well. Like, and so, you know, net positive, you're going to feel good and you're going to have a quality of life. Um, but also like, I think just that, that mental shift of feeling like you're doing something. And, and I like what you said about how like the science has started to confirm that, um, confirm like that, what you're doing, what you're seeing with patients, what you're seeing with the, the consultants that you work with, um, that, that it's all coming together, like to show, okay, this really does help. And here's the science for how it helps. Um, so I know we can't go into, I would love to go into all of the science, but that would literally take like six months of your entire course, I'm sure. Um, but if patients wanted to learn a little bit more um, from you specifically or learn about your book that you've written, um, do you want to tell them the name of that book and maybe where the, the website is that they could sure. tune in? Yeah, it's it's called The, the Ketogenic Kitchen and I co-wrote it with, um, she's become a really good friend of mine, uh, Dominique Kemp, who also had melanoma. Uh, skin melanoma in her 20s and then breast cancer when she was 43 I think that's when she came to me so that was uh, 10 years ago now and uh, and she came for a consultation and then she said Patricia we have to write a book <laughs> so, um, you know this this stuff has to get out there and especially that people have meal plans they have very concrete recipes as well and of course, you know, it's, it's a template and it needs to be a bit, as you know, changed around and adapted to individual um, macros. But again, it, it gives a really good starting point. And I think people see, gosh, there's so much lovely food out there and so many nice recipes. And then there's also, you know, free resources I have on my website. I have a sort of a metabolic shopping guide for people who just get started. I have quite a lot of sort of a three-part free what is metabolic health uh, a course so that's quite um, a really good starting point actually to to figure out what what is it actually that whole metabolic health thing and uh, and then I recently also uploaded as you know I love nutrigenomics because it really helps us focus and prioritize and what nutrient deficiencies do I need to potentially be aware of? It would have saved me so much trouble if I had had that from the very beginning. Um, you know, plants versus animals and all those um, interesting questions. Um, and yeah, so a lot of it is on my website, patriciadaily.com and then slash recovery fundamentals is the program that you mentioned where we have uh, quite a number of ocular melanoma um, patients as well. And um, 
yeah, there's there's lots of resources on the website for free as well. You know, just have a look around first. So what would you say to, let's just say you're talking to a patient who they're, you know, patient to patient, um, another ocular melanoma patient who's coming into this, maybe they've had a recurrence, maybe they haven't, but they're dealing with some level of, you know, added stress. So they want to be able to do something, but they're looking at this idea of, you know, a, of a lifestyle change. And they're just like, this is a lot. Yeah. Um, because I think that that's, that's one of the kind of holdups for people is, is that kind of, par- uh, what do you call it? Analysis paralysis, right? Mm-hmm. Where you just, you're kind of paralyzed by the overload of information and, and things available to you. And you just don't know where to start. Um, what would you say to that person who is super overwhelmed? Yeah, very good question. And uh, and I think that's that was one of the privileges I had at the time because there wasn't there wasn't an information overflow. There was I had the problem of not enough information, which was probably better in a way. Mm. And I was very focused and I kept it super simple. So, you know, just learning about carbs in the first place was was really important to me, not to be scared of carbs, but to to really learn um, how to manage them and uh, and you know what what are maybe some some better choices or not and just tight cleaning up cleaning out your pantry and uh, getting rid of the obvious so the the sugars the processed foods and you know the shopping list is actually a great start you know oh, okay I can just focus I have a, a little list you know okay these are the foods that you focus on the ones in the middle maybe don't go crazy about them and the ones on the right the, the red ones uh, just ditch them and uh and that can be a really nice start it doesn't need to be complicated and also with macros i think i was literally i'm just gonna eat 20 grams of protein with each meal and i actually had 20 grams of carbs with each meal and then i just eat i just don't um buy any low-fat foods and if i'm still hungry I have something mostly uh, made of fat, good fats. And so I kept it really simple at the beginning. And um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't have to be overly um, fancy and supplements. I probably had about five supplements. And when I see <laughs> when I see some of my clients coming to me now with 60 supplements and sort of, OK, let's let's trim that down. Let's let's trim it down and simplify. Right. Like, and so I guess what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that if you're overwhelmed, just pick somewhere to start. And it sounds like what you're saying is a good place to start is what are you putting in your mouth? Um, If you're wanting to learn about metabolic health, then obviously like we've shared a few of the resources, the free resources you can go to on Patricia's website to find and learn a little bit more about that. You're welcome to reach out to her directly. If you do want to learn more about her course, um, the book that she offers and that she wrote with or co-wrote, I guess co-wrote, but the book that she wrote is, is an incredibly valuable resource, but really just starting with the, okay, what are you putting into your body? What are you fueling your body with? Um, And how is that, you know, benefiting or, or potentially not benefiting. I don't want to say necessarily hurting because I think that it's kind of like there's, there's a balance of things, but when things are out of balance, then it can become harmful. I think, um, exactly. is kind of what I'm hearing and, and what, what you've seen in, you know, in the science research of nutrition is, you know, it's, it's not the idea that you never have anything sweet or salty or, you know, whatever. It's just finding that balance of what can your body tolerate and what is it built to, um, 
to tolerate essentially and so, so i mean so personal exactly I'm yes response it's so personal it's there's no eat this don't eat that eat that much or following protocols to some extent yeah but you you mm. will learn to as i call it freestyle and uh mm-hmm. and and also not forgetting about just getting out you know getting into if you have it sunlight we're not very blessed with it here in Dublin unfortunately <laughs> and uh and just you know I think tuning in as well you know it, I'm, I'm such a big, big advocate of intention I think I always did everything intentionally and not just because somebody told me or I saw someone do it I I was really very intentional about it which is not very like me I'm very impatient by nature but I was quite patient in that process and I still am because I'm I'm still on of course my journey I mean recently have dental work and I've you know I constantly identify things that oh god you know they they need they need fixing but I don't do it all at the same time it was yeah I think that's such a good point that it's it's not a Patricia learned how to to be a nutrition coach and to she acquired all of this knowledge and it took all of six months and then she was an expert like it's an ongoing learning process and whether you whether you're becoming you know a a nutritional or a metabolic health coach (laughs) or you're just learning this for yourself it is absolutely a process and it's it's one that um I think I think you probably have seen this too, and you maybe have felt this is that it's one that sometimes conventional medicine doesn't have the patience for, right? Because conventional medicine says, no, 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 we can't wait. We have to, we have to do something about this now. Otherwise you're going to lose your vision. You're going to have cancer spread. Like there, there's a lot of these, we, you know, our research says that this is, this is what will happen if we do nothing. And I think that it's kind of this crazy trust fall exercise, right? Where you're like, you're not actually doing nothing. You're just doing something different and you're doing something that maybe isn't as well known. Um, and so I think just having the patience for that process and re- recognizing that it does take time. It can take a lifetime, really, we could argue, um, to just really completely uh, revamp your lifestyle. And and it really, I, th- I think from what I've learned from you, like it really should take a lifetime because you should be constantly adjusting and constantly changing and just modifying for what's happening in your environment, what's happening in your life, like your, your day-to-day life, uh, all of those things, all of those pieces come together as part of the puzzle. And, mm. and sometimes you're finding a piece that's, you know, way off in the corner that you didn't know existed. And now you're, you're finding it and you're finding where it fits. Yeah, um, exactly. So is that, you know, it doesn't, it, it's not all, you know, compulsions or I have to do this or I have to tick that box and I I have to go and exercise and then I have to do this it's really a I get to do this and it's I I get to do this because it's just become me and it's Mm -hmm. not you know it's it's second nature it's like you you're brushing your teeth and it shouldn't be a stressor it should really be something that uh, it it is a constant exploration and not to get upset about this that you know certain things work better than others I always say when things don't work great I know they don't work for me <laughs> so that's also a, that's also an insight you know <laughs> so yeah well and it I think it takes yeah. releasing that high expectation of yourself to somehow get it perfect the first time right like it it really is kind of a trial and error you really have to work at it and just kind of play with, play with the numbers, play with what, what creates 
a kind of a steady glucose environment for your body and, and lower insulin spikes, things like that. And, and it takes practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would say like, I, I would just say like, as someone who's in your course, like I have found it exceptionally valuable to be able to talk to other patients, mm-hmm. um, not just can you know, not just cancer patients who have the same cancer that I do. I mean, that's obviously valuable, but I think just, it's, it's such a powerful thing to be able to learn from your peers at the same time. Um, and to hear, you know, somebody who's got two or three kids, like, how are you cooking? You know, how are you cooking your food? while also feeding your family, like some of those kinds of nuances of, of lifestyle that you're trying to accommodate for while also Mm -hmm. like taking really good care of yourself. Like, how do you, how do you do that? And just hearing ideas from other people can be so powerful. Um, so yeah, I had, I had a thought, (laughs) no, I was just, I was just thinking of like, Oh, I guess, yeah, I guess I just wanted to, to kind of wrap it up as we're, as we're coming to a close and as we're ending our conversation here, um, what would you, what do you feel like you wish you could go back and tell Patricia at 28? Um, like, <laughs> you know, if, if you now could go back and talk to Patricia at 28, um, maybe what are two or three things you would tell her to kind of calm her or help her kind of get on the same page? Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think I would, you know, some people ask me as well, so would you do treatment again or would you go straight to uh you know what you know now and I think every everything I went through as tough as it was it's made me the the human I am it, it's made me the practitioner I am um and yeah I I don't know if I would change an awful lot to be honest I mean I there was a lot of pain a lot of crying especially when my uh, maybe having the courage to to cons- to confront my consultant a bit earlier because every time I came out of his practice I was just in floods of tears and he always gave me the worst case scenario so I had to sign waivers that you know I would go blind and this and everything they ever told me never happened and I think it was only about maybe um, actually when I published a book you know we had really good open conversation and also when he he made a lot of mistakes along the way and he, you know, I probably could have done God only knows what um, because he, he did make mistakes and I was, he's human. It's fine. He's got five kids. I like him, you know, um, it's all good. And although I, it could have saved me maybe um, a bit of trouble, let's put it that way. But, you know, we then had really some good heart to heart conversations for a long time. I mean, he took an hour and I said, can I just ask you, why did you always, you know, give me those worst case prognosis and scenarios and this is going to happen and that is going to happen. And and it really, I said, it just, I was so young and it just so scared me. And I cried every time I came out, although I like you. Um, why do you do like, Yeah, like it was just so terrifying. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I think they just do it out of their own fear, you know, that they, they are scared that we will sue them. And then he realized, I'm not that, that kind of person. I would, I would never do that. And, mm. uh, and then our relationship really completely changed. And, um, and it was more really just, just this open, um, yeah, open conversations and yeah, this is a possibility, but let's not focus on it. That's not the focus, yeah. the entire focus of our conversation. Let's focus on the possibilities as well. 
And I think having, you know, maybe having the courage to say that a bit earlier <laughs> um, would have saved me some, you know, a lot of tears, let's put it that way. But that, that Yeah, again. for sure. Just a lot of emotional upheaval, like coming out yeah. of the doctor's office. Yeah. So I guess what I'm hearing is, is if you could go back and change anything, it would be to just really learn to advocate for yourself earlier. Um, yeah. in a, maybe in a different way. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. And, and just be, be a bit braver and, uh, not being a pain in the neck. I always say, yeah. <laughs> say to you guys as well, that, you know, they're, they're only, they're, they're human and they have a lot on their plate and, uh, I don't want to cause hassle just for, for the sake of causing hassle, but sometimes a lot of trouble could be saved by just being straight out and and asking the right questions and yeah as you say advocating for for yourself and not being scared or timid or I shouldn't ask this or I can't take two more minutes yeah yeah well and and I think too another piece of that is that if you don't feel comfortable doing that as a patient then bring a caregiver who could kind of help advocate for you who can be that kind of superhero for you and just help pull you out of the emotional craze that you feel and just be there to ask those hard questions just in case your brain forgets because you just got, you know, more bad news or more hard news. Um, and I guess my, my, um, my other thought that what I, what I was thinking about as you were talking about your doctor is just that, you know, you were diagnosed 13 plus years ago, right? Am I doing the math right? Yeah. 13. Yeah. So, Oh, 15. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not even right, but I mean, you were diagnosed long enough ago that, you know, even 10 years ago, the majority of patients diagnosed 10, 15 years ago, that was all it was. It was just bad news. It was just, we don't know enough about this cancer to give you any good news. And so all we have as doctors is the hard stuff. And, and so I guess I think, you know, I think back to that period and I'm just like, I, I wasn't even aware this diagnosis existed, but the doctors who did know it existed, it was a terrible, horrifying, big, scary thing because they just didn't have a huge knowledge space around it. And now, thankfully, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, that has changed and knowledge has, you know, become more readily available. Research has been done. um, And there's, there's just more information for them to be able to have a conversation that is more focused on, okay, what can we do and less on what can go wrong? Um, Exactly. And it's not that the what can go wrong isn't still part of the conversation, right? We all know with yeah. plaque, with brachytherapy, proton beam, there's vision risk, there's loss of vision risk. Yeah. Um, it, like there's a lot of risk factors. And so they have to be talked about. But like you said, like just those kind of framing it differently. And I think having that conversation with your doctor, um, I would I would be willing to bet it changed how he practices as a doctor. So I yeah, think that it, that, yeah. it probably took a lot of courage on your part, but I think it probably has been a really good thing for all of the other people that he's seen. Um, yeah. So just kudos to you for doing that as a patient. Mm. Um, well, Patricia, this has been so great and I wish we could talk for longer. Yeah. But like I said, like I know we would be talking for like six months if we covered everything you've learned and all of the things you found valuable. Um, I know I have learned a lot from you in your course and I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that you have made that available. Um, and that you're just so willing to talk to people and, and allow them kind of a glimpse into this, this realm, um, you know, with no strings attached to just be able to learn and just see yeah, if this yeah. is an empowering step that they want to take. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. for patients listening, if you do want to tune in and you want to learn more about what Patricia does um, as a practitioner, then please go to her, her website. It's patriciadaily.com. And that's D-A-L-Y. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, And you can actually link up with her on Facebook too, through her Facebook group. She has a free Facebook group, which um, Patricia, what's the name of that group? 
Um, I think it's facebook.com groups slash recovery fundamentals. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'll also include that in the show notes um, for anyone who just wants to tune in and learn a little bit more. But I think one of the biggest things we can take away from this is just that there's hope, there's possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are so many things you can do, um, you know, non-conventional medicine aside. Yeah. Or, you know, I guess I'm, I'm saying the wrong phrase, but conventional medicine aside and kind of as a complement to that conventional medicine treatment, whether it's for metastatic disease to the liver or the lungs or somewhere else, or when you're just going into that initial treatment for your eye. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's just so much value. And honestly, like I just, I obviously have no way of knowing what could have happened for me, but I ended up with an eye that was removed due to radiation damage. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a big part of me that just wonders now, now that I know more about you know, the health. And I've, I've heard obviously your story. It's like, okay, but if I had started doing what I do now and I'd started it a year, like before I started, then would it have helped, um, with, you know, maybe not recovering vision. Cause my, my retina detachment was pretty bad, but like, you know, there's just that question of, you know, if I had started something sooner, what could be different? Mm. Um, but you know, not getting lost in that either, because exactly. I think yeah. that, I think that there's, yeah, there's that balance of like accepting like, oh, like I wish I had known that, but also I can't change it. I have to move forward with today. Yeah. And, and every experience makes you who you are and, and, and has value, even if you, if you're not aware of it, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, you mm, talked about no, I love it. that. You made some, some brilliant um, videos. What is it like, you know? And I was sort of, yeah, I, I would have no clue because I haven't gone through it. So you know, sharing that is is so incredible and gives so many people, as you say, you know, hope and also I can prepare for this. And you know, Tane has a wonderful life, and you know, so so even if it's um, with one eye, so and I'm always I it have, is with one eye. I make yeah. jokes about it all the time. Exactly, and I have it always in the back of maybe maybe that's at some point waiting for me. But look, I'm I'm not dwelling on it or I'm not scared of it. I'm just aware of it. And as, as I'm yeah. aware, when I go into the car that somebody might re-rend me, <laughs> that's just... <laughs> it's just the possibility of getting that's, in the car. That's every possibility in, in that's oh, yeah. life. And I think that's, um, there have been so many lessons, so much teaching, um, just mm. in a turbo, um, you know, I'm, I'm still quite young, but have, as, as, as are you, and we have gone through quite a lot and that definitely by us as well I think yeah yeah well and I like what you said about how those experiences you know without everything that had happened before you know the way that it happened you wouldn't be who you are today you wouldn't you wouldn't be the kind of practitioner that you are today um and I think that's such a valuable piece too is that you know the things that we go through while they're challenging they do change us and they make us who we are and we you know if we like who we are today which I mean I like who I am today like would that we wouldn't want to change how that happens. Um, but I did have one more thought if you have just a minute. Um, I know you have talked to me and you've talked to me personally, or just kind of on your, on your page a little bit about how you, um, I know, I I guess I'm just trying to paint a picture here that you do all of this with nutritional health. Like you have this huge knowledge base. You have people that you talk to practitioners that you work with. Like you have a really good, um, system, I guess, and supportive network of all of these people that you're constantly learning from and you're equipped. And I I would say really armed with a lot of good information Mm. that helps give you, you know, that kind of reassurance. But what I noticed, um, is that you still admit to having scanxiety. So I just wanted you to, 
um, like, can you just tell us briefly what's maybe one of the one of the top things that you do to cope with scanxiety? Because despite having current, you know, metastatic free, like you're doing well, all of those factors, the fear is still there. And I think it's just it's just so important to paint the, the idea that, you know, we're all human. It doesn't matter if you've been cancer free for five years, 10 years, 15 years. Cancer leaves a mark um, yeah. Yeah. in that anxiety realm. So how do you deal with scanxiety? Um, I, I have a routine around it um, and uh, it's it's really also just just taking a bit of time, but not too much, you know, to acknowledge, acknowledge it, but not not take the day off before. That's probably the, the worst thing, keeping myself busy without being completely in denial. And um, yeah, and I always I cycle in. They think I'm absolutely nuts, but I got so used to <laughs> Even having eyes dilated and then putting on, you know, sunglasses afterwards and the cycle alone is, is just so calming because one of the main reasons is um, I cycle in and I see all the people stuck in cars on the way to work, running around with their coffee, especially I cycle past my own, my my old um, bank building and I just flood myself with gratitude really you know i'm so grateful that um of course you know it, it the the cancer journey it's been so tough but it's it's also given me i'm so passionate about what i do i'm so passionate about um you know helping people being there for them on on their journey as well and it's so much more fulfilling than the job i used to do so i think gratitude you know kills or cancels out fear so it, it's really focusing on that around the, I mean, generally I, you know, I do my best to, to, to be grateful for what I have while not, of course, there, there are challenges and difficulties in my life have always been, will always be, you know, with also a, um, a challenging daughter, for instance, but um, which is also a gift, but um, <laughs> yeah, just focusing on what I have and not what could be. And mm. um how this has all really changed my life. And uh, I really, when I look back or I do this exercise, um, I did a lot of courses on mindful self-compassion, uh, psychological fitness. Um, and I have a good friend who, who's doing an you know, amazing program as well. And she got to get us uh, yeah, to do that exercise of every challenge has, has three gifts or opportunities. And uh, when I went through that, uh, also when we came out with the book, for instance, we got attacked very badly by the Irish Cancer Society, by the dietitians, that it's dangerous advice, you know, nobody should, you know, Patricia Daly is killing patients almost, sort of that, that style. And it was really, really tough, but there were so many things that I changed. I took action and that I'm so grateful for that have opened new doors that I wouldn't have done if it hadn't been for those attacks. So I was, I should write them a letter and thank them. <laughs> Thanks for being so harsh <laughs> because I probably wouldn't have done my master's so quickly. I always wanted to do a master's in, in nutrition, but I was, oh, I'll let the kids grow up a little bit more. And then I was, they call me unqualified. Okay, let's do a master's. And so I did that in 2017 for four years. And uh, I wouldn't have done that. And that has given me so many opportunities now with the, you know, work I do with the European Keto Life Center, which I wouldn't have had without, without that. So 
it's really, you know, not denying challenges or anxiety, but, you know, just changing the narrative a little bit. Mm. And uh, I find that it's kind of tweaking the way that you're the way that you think about it. The the way the brain tells you stories. And I sometimes, Mm -hmm. oh, come on, brain, that's just one of your stories. It's, you know, got to talk to yourself. It's fine. Thanks, but I don't need you right now. (laughs) No, I get it. Well, thank you. I feel like that's helpful. Um, And I'm sorry, I kind of put you on the spot there. But thank you so much for your time today. Um, I know it's getting into the evening for you. So I'll let you get back to your family and your kids. But um, Thank you again. This has been great. It was lovely talking to you. Yeah. See you soon. Bye, Danae. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.